Hey, y'all, welcome back to the Don't Mom Alone podcast. I am your host, Heather McFadden, and this is the place where I'm going to walk alongside you and connect you with people and resources so you know that you don't mom alone. In this episode number 275, I have the privilege of introducing you to Taylor Bashta. So here I am. I've got the two things that I want, but it's just, there's just too much. In my mind, I'm thinking, how am I ever going to get past this? I have so much anger, so much hurt, so much disappointment, so much bitterness at you, at God, at just what in the world happened. Um, This isn't the person that I thought I married and look what you put us through. The blame game all the way. I just knew I wasn't okay. I remember calling my mom and I just said, I'm not okay. And I think if you can just say that, there's so much power in that because our hiding is what kills us inside. And our hiding is what invites that shame and that guilt and that condemnation. All of that comes when we're hiding. When you put it out there, it's gone. You're putting away gossip. You're putting away just the pressure. It's just gone when you, when you name it. It takes the power out of it. When adulting cranks up, lots of little kids needing attention, careers requiring so much time and energy, financial strain and marriage struggles, we oftentimes turn to substances or patterns of behavior that help us cope but are not helping us live the life of freedom and fullness that God desires for us. Taylor is coming alongside us today as a friend who knows hard things. She's bravely sharing her story of walking through Daniel's alcoholism, his recovery, and her own untangling of how she tends towards codependency and what she realized about her own process of recovery. More than anything, it's another reminder to share share our lives with the people around us, those safe family and friends that we can trust, and to be those people. How do you support someone who's walking through a recovery process? How do you help point out when you're not seeing them operate in their best version of themselves? Before we get to that conversation, I want to introduce you to a resource because another stress we have is this unique task as parents of raising our children to love and obey Jesus. And at times it can be overwhelming. Whelming. Dishes are high, kids are running around, and of course, we'd love to spend quality time in the Word with our kids, but it's hard to do. Well, this resource is published in partnership with Concordia Publishing House. It's the ESV Seek and Find Bible. It combines a complete ESV Bible text with 130 vibrant illustrations of the Bible stories. The ESV Seek and Find Bible is the ideal first real Bible for young kids. It's a perfect on-ramp to introduce them to daily Bible reading in a way that's going to capture their imaginations and guide their hearts and foster their minds in the truth of God's Word for years to come. So now through March 2nd, Don't Mom Alone listeners can pick up their ESV Seek and Find Bible along with other ESV children's Bibles for 40% off with a free Crossway Plus membership. Just head over to crossway.org forward slash DMA4, that's the number four, For more information, that's crossway.org forward slash DMA4. All right, let's get to my chat with Taylor. Here we go. Hey, Taylor, welcome to the Don't Mom Alone podcast. Hello, thanks for having me. Oh, you're so brave. I'm so (laughs) proud of you because I know 
you are not alone in the story you have walked through. And uh, there's just moms and dads out there that need, they need your story. They need to know what you've and your husband have walked through so that they can also seek the help that you have sought and just being real. I want to be real today, but I also just want to give hope and a hand up and not just yell down to the pit. Like, I hope you're okay down there. Let me know if you need anything, (laughs) like get in there with them and help them out. So thank you for being here and being brave. And y'all know this is Taylor and Daniel's story to tell. And, um, you can refer people to listen to this episode, but, oh, it's a tricky thing, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It's a tricky thing to walk through hard stuff and still be transparent and authentic. So let's get into it. Yeah. <laughs> Where do you want to start? Where do you want to start? Um, well, you want to start sort of uh, maybe last year? Yeah. You and Daniel have been married how many years now? We've been married 12 years this okay. last October. And you have four kiddos. We do. We have four kids. We have nine, eight, five, and three. Okay. So they were all born within five years. Wow. <laughs> so wow. a little crazy. Mm. Yep. Mm. <laughs> so there's that. Everyone can relate to that has yes. a lot of young kiddos in a short amount of time. Yeah. And when did you start noticing something was not right? Well, I think... You know, when do you notice? You know, there's probably certain signs looking back that you think, hmm, I probably should have noticed that or why didn't I notice that? But we, I will say we started out our relationship on fun. We were both working full time at a church and it was a really big, fast growing church and it was pretty stressful. And we found each other almost like a little, little haven of escape. And I think we would go to movies and like do it when you're in full-time ministry, do all those fun things that are like, you know, let's turn our brains off. And so I think looking back on it, we realized we probably had a little too much fun and we just, I think sometimes wouldn't face hard things. We were just like, Oh, let's cover it up. Let's just go have fun. And um, you can get away with that for a little while. But as kids and all that started, you know, we would have wine together and we'd go to Napa and you know, that was one of our favorite things to do is find a really fun wine and go to restaurants. And we would joke that we would spend all our extra money on babysitters going out. And, you know, that was great for a while. And then, um, you know, I think I started to notice like a few years ago was probably when I really got a little concerned that I noticed a dependency on it, that I was thinking this, this isn't healthy. I don't think this is normal. And, you know, would Google what is an alcoholic. I Googled that so many times. Did that give you, did that like make you feel better while he's not that bad? Or did it make you more concerned when you read (laughs) the list of what's an alcoholic? Honestly, it probably made me more concerned. And I, I tell people, you know, you think of the movies, you think the person hiding vodka in the water bottle or the person who's losing their job, losing their home. I think that's in my mind was like, well, that's not happening. He was very high functioning. Yeah. So, you know, and there might be like one really wild night and then I would think, okay, this is out of control. I need to do something. And then it would just be kind of normal, like glass of wine at dinner, normal. And then another crazy night, big argument very concerned and then kind of back to normal. So I would say we'd cycled through that for a few years. 
And then last December, a few different things happened that really, I think, just made our family start to spiral out of control. There were some financial things happening, some things, my husband's a musician, so some things in his music career, however you want to say that, I could tell that he was getting very stressed. And typically, when anyone has a codependency on alcohol, whatever it is, when the stressors hit, they hit bad even harder. And so we would talk about it. And I would say, you know, I think you drink too much, which would always turn into an argument. He never wanted to hear that. I had even pulled in some friends, some close friends that saw it too. And, you know, we would talk about it and I would ask them, what do you think I should do? And then, you know, it just, you can do that for a while. And then last December, I just, I saw him start to just really spiral out of control. Hmm. And I just didn't know what to do. I couldn't help him. I couldn't stop it. Um, We were having these crazy arguments. Our kids saw it. Um, I could see our kids starting to exhibit some hurt. I could see some some things and my daughter started biting her nails more and my son started getting some some fears he'd never had before and I was thinking this is not good this is affecting everybody so there's just their anxiety levels you could tell yeah it just you could feel it um I think a few of our close friends could feel it he just looked like a different person it was Mm -hmm. like the lights were out in his eyes then eventually through our arguing he was like I I just don't know if I can do this you know, I, I think I'm out of here kind of thing. Mm. And so there were times I didn't know where he was or what he was doing. And gosh, even just talking about it brings back that anxiety. Yeah. I lost weight. I just, you know, I carry anxiety in my stomach. You know, people carry it different ways, but my stomach clenches and I can't eat. And um, really my main concern was how am I going to be a single mom if he really loses it? Uh, you know, I haven't worked in 10 plus years. You, you just start thinking of these practical things like, who's going to hire me? My resume is going to say mom. And yeah. <laughs> what am I going to do? So I had heard of Onsite, which is a, um, a sort of a group therapy. Well, they offer a lot of different programs, but there's a program they offer called the Living Centered Program. It's really just for any time you feel like your life is not centered and it's a little out of control. I really did not know much about it, but I knew that he would not go to rehab. I had thrown that out before with not a great response. I knew we probably couldn't afford rehab. Rehab can be extremely expensive. So one day, I just finally drew a line in the sand and I said, you have to go to onsite. I had actually called our banker and had withdrawn the money for him to go. I didn't want any excuses. And... um yeah, I said, you have to go to onsite or you have to leave our home. Hmm. How did he receive that ultimatum? I think he was desperate. He could feel himself spiraling. He wasn't quite at the place to admit it. But later, looking back, he knew something has to happen. And he, I would say, begrudgingly went. Um, as in, as he was walking out the door said, I may stay, I may not, and I may not come back home. Hmm. So when you're at onsite, they take your phone away just so that you can really focus without distraction. And so you don't say last names. They really want you to be able to focus on healing. So I couldn't talk to him that week. 
And man, that was the scariest week of my life. I have a very clear memory of falling down on my bathroom floor and sobbing and just thinking, what am I going to do? And uh, I had a few really good friends that uh, knew he was there. One had been to onsite and she called me every day and just said, you have to trust this process. It's going to be good. But of course, that's very hard to hear and take in in the moment. (laughs) I had also reached out to our family and probably six or seven of our closest friends via text, just a quick, hey, we are not okay. I don't really want to talk, but just want you to know we're spiraling right now. Please pray for us. Hmm. I think what you did right there is model for the person who's spiraling right now that she could do that. Yeah. And for the friend of someone spiraling that it's a phone call to say, I'm here, trust the process, that presence, you know, you don't have to have all the answers, but just the presence of those friends knowing and is there anything else someone did in that season when you were waiting for Daniel to get back that was helpful? I mean, there was that specifically that one friend who had been to onsite. She saved me that week because literally she's like, call me whenever, call me 10 times a day, mm-hmm. call me in the middle of the night. And I knew that I could, and I didn't really even know her that well, which was <laughs> that most unbelievable thing. She really just gave me her entire week and she didn't live in the same city as me. And I would, I would just call her and be sobbing and say, I don't, I'm not sure I can do this. What happens if he doesn't come home? And she really just kept bringing me back to like, it's going to be okay. I promised you it's going to be better than it was. I promised you it's going to be better than it was. And um, my mom was very helpful. She does live in the same city. So we spent a few nights with them and just a, a simple text, a simple call. My friend saying, hey, I'm praying for you. I'm here for you. Yeah, that made a huge difference while I was waiting. Was there anything so my- Yeah. I mean, you're you're on hold. You don't know like right. where is this going? Am I getting a job? Am I mothering um on my own or am I is my husband coming back? And right. um I'm more a healthier version of my husband. Was there anything yeah. anybody did that was not helpful? I mean, you don't have to call him out like, <laughs> like don't let don't name names, but <laughs> if you were going to give advice on what would not be helpful, maybe it wasn't done to you, but wink, wink. Yeah. I think during that week, I wasn't, you know, only a very few people even knew what was going on. Um, I think after that, there were some things when I did become more open about it. I think people either brushing it off as being like, not a big deal, or, you know, I would say making it feel like, oh, I'm so glad everything's okay now. You know, that kind of thing. Dismissive. Or like, oh, yeah. Yeah. just, I'm so glad you could just forgive them. Somebody specifically said, you know, we can get to this. But when he had come home, you know, and I was still struggling with a lot of hurt and anger, somebody said, well, can't you just take the low road and just forgive him? Mm. And I thought, can I just slap you in the face? <laughs> <laughs> that is not helpful. Oh. <laughs> and, um, it's just people are doing their best and I had yeah. to deal with my own reaction there. But, you know, it's like, yeah, I'm trying. <laughs> if it was as easy as just snapping your fingers and forgiving someone, yeah. I would have done that. <laughs> yeah. 
Yep. That would have been number so, one on my list. Yeah. Yeah. Mm, so you're waiting. He doesn't have his phone on. Yes. So um, I went to the airport. Really, all I knew is I have a flight back at this time. And you get your phone back like around the afternoon of your last day. And so I got a text that said, hey, I got on an earlier flight. This is the time. And I was like, okay, okay. So I got a babysitter for my kids. I drove to the airport and, you know, you're sitting out there um, in the Atlanta airport. You've got that very dramatic staircase that comes up (laughs) to all the waiting people. It's like a movie. And I thought, this is what a heart attack feels like. I'm 100% sure I am having a heart attack. My heart was just beating out of my chest and felt like I was going to throw up. And I just was like, okay, what am I going to do? And so I finally saw him come up over the, over the stairs and he came up and gave, gave me a big hug. And I was still very shut off. And um, he said, I love you. And he said, um, and I love me too now. Mm. And we just sort of walked, grabbed his baggage and um, went to the parking deck and we were getting in and he was like, Hey, can I just have a hug? So I came back around and, and I just fell apart and I was just sobbing and sobbing just that months and that week of trying to hold it together, trying to be strong. Um, and he just said, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I love you. I'm so sorry. And just kind of held me. Mm. And then he was like, well, do you want to go to dinner? Do you want to talk? And I was like, yeah, that's, that's great. I have a babysitter for the kids for a while. So, um, and I was so curious to see if he would order a drink at dinner. I knew that was sort of the make or break it. I knew if we sat down and he ordered something, that would be it. I would have to make a decision. So, you know, we're going to sit down. We sit down in the booth and the waitress comes and he's like, oh, can I have a tea and a sparkling water? And I just was like, oh, like everything inside of me just, you know, I hadn't even heard a word yet, but I knew that was the first good sign I was looking for. Hmm. It's hard to talk about your experience at onsite. And they actually tell you to not talk about it for a little while, just as you're letting it settle inside of you. So, you know, it was weird for me because he, I could tell it was just really hard for him to even start. He was just like, it was incredible. And I realized so much about myself and I learned so much about codependency. And, you know, there was like so many questions I wanted to ask, but I was trying to let him take the lead. Um, So we just, you know, kind of sat there. And then that week as we were home, it was like he was a different person. It was the craziest change it was actually like whiplash. It was like we were barreling one direction that was terrifying. And then it was just like, we're going a new direction. The light was back on his eyes. He was playing games with the kids. And it was just, it was bizarre. Hmm. And I was so thankful. But here I am with like, hey, I'm still the girl that was on the bathroom floor four days ago, you know, wondering if you're coming home. Like, and now we're just like happy and yeah. fine. Yeah. And that was just not working <laughs> for me. Yeah. Well, the, the rules had changed. Yeah. And yeah, your trust was, yeah. on your side hadn't been rebuilt yet. That's, yeah. Is, as like dreamy as it sounds to be, have 
the new version, there's still an adjustment and a, yes. a season of your recovery. So yeah. what did that look like for you? I mean, I'm sure if, if there's a woman out there whose husband is in the throes of an addiction, she's dreaming about that husband coming home. Right. right. A, a healthier version. But for the one who's in the recovery process, it's not like the whole family magically just recovers in a moment. Right. That's a long, it's re, we call it recovery for life at our church, like the program. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a lifetime of recovering. Yes. So what was that like for you? Yeah. There's so many different elements. I think I honestly hadn't even thought that far as I thought about what would happen. I just hoped he would come back. I hoped he yeah. would stop drinking. I never got past that in my mind. So here I am. I've got the two things that I want, but it's just there's just too much in my mind. I'm thinking, how am I ever going to get past this? I have so much anger, so much hurt, so much disappointment, so much bitterness at you, at God, at just what in the world happened. Um, this isn't the person that I thought I married and look what you put us through. I mean, the blame game all the way. And I just knew I wasn't okay. And, um, I remember calling my mom and I just said, I'm not okay. Yeah. And I think if you can just say that, there's so much power in that because our hiding is what kills us inside. And our hiding is what invites that shame and that guilt and that condemnation. All of that comes when we're hiding. When you put it out there, it's gone. You're putting away gossip. You're putting away just the pressure. It's just gone when you, when you name it, it takes the power out of it. And I just, I just said, I've, I've got to do something. I'm not okay. And um, Daniel was like, why don't you go to onsite? Which was not even like in my mind, you know, I'm thinking, why would I go? I don't have a problem. <laughs> and um, he's like, why don't you just call them? Yeah. So I called, they're the sweetest people that answer the phone. And you know, I said, I, I think, I think I need to come. My husband just was there a few weeks ago and I don't feel like I have a reason really, but I think it would be helpful. And she sort of laughed. She's like, we hear that every day. You know, I don't, yeah. I don't have a reason. And, you know, they, they give you like a little interview and kind of hear your story. And she's like, I think the Living Center program would be perfect for you. So that very next month I went, he went in February, I went in March and um, I got on a plane said goodbye to my kids for six days. Which is a big deal for I any mom. I left them. Yeah. <laughs> like no um, matter where you're headed to leave yeah. your kids for six days on a business trip or whatever it is, that's a big yeah. deal. It's a big it's deal a big for deal. mom to go. Yeah. Yeah. So thankfully Daniel was all for it and was just like, don't worry, I got it. You know, and also thankfully he has the type of job he can do that. I know that's not easy for everyone to do, but, um, yeah, so I left and I had a friend pick me up at the airport because I was too scared to ride the shuttle that goes from um, the airport in Nashville to onsite. And he dropped me off and I really felt like my dad had dropped me off at summer camp. Yeah. He's like, yeah, all right, bye. Here I am standing with my suitcase. I have to walk inside by myself. And I'm thinking like, what have I done? But that week was life-changing, incredible. Gosh, I wish everyone could go. 
living centered is, is just the perfect way to describe it. They really help you with anything that you feel is just out of balance in your life. So that was the beginning of me sort of ending the blame game, ending the victim game, and yeah. starting on my own path to recovery um, that I honestly didn't even know that I needed, but I did. Not only am I thankful to Taylor for sharing her testimony with us, but also reminding all of us to not play the victim in our relationships, in the big moments, and also in the daily. I know for myself, I'll claim that I can't go get my hair cut or take care of my body because I'm taking care of everyone else. But the truth is, I get to choose how I spend my time. This month's sponsor asked me to share what makes me feel fabulous. And you know, it's not complicated. It actually doesn't take very much time, but it's if I can do a face mask at the end of the day, I feel like I have done something major for myself and taken care of the skin I'm going to be in the rest of my life. And the mask that I've been using lately actually came in my FabFitFun Spring 2020 box. It's by Wish. It's the Blue Matcha Restoring Mask, and it feels great. It smells amazing, and it's free of paraben and sulfate and all the things you can't say. It's cruelty-free, and it, I never would think to go out and buy it for myself, so I'm so thankful it came in my box. And it's one of the many things you can choose from when you customize your own Spring 2020 box. If you do it right, everything in your box would be valued in the hundreds of dollars, like up to 400 and some dollars. It retails for $49.99. And if you use the coupon code DMA10, you save $10 off your first box over at fabfitfun.com. So go check it out. Use that code DMA10 over at fabfitfun.com. Put together your box. Take care of yourself today. Feel fabulous right alongside me. All right, let's get back to my conversation with Taylor where she gets more into her recovery process. Because we could say that um, the quote-unquote problem was that your spouse was an alcoholic. Right. But there's more to that. With every relationship, it takes two, right? It, yeah. Two people. And so what did on-site help you reveal to you about lies you were believing or things that were keeping you stuck in resentment? Yeah. What did you discover to help a gal who may be feeling that same place? What, whatever resentment she's feeling in any scenario, really, yeah. and anger. Yeah, it was so hard for me to get past the fact that I felt like a victim. Mm. Um, you know, everybody tells you, don't live like a victim, don't have a victim mentality. And I would say, but I was a victim. You know, my right. husband was an alcoholic. I lived with that. I sure do feel like a victim. And what I've learned is that really what that means is taking your power back, getting your voice, doing what it takes to be the healthiest version of you, regardless of what the other person does. So what I had done for so long is if he wasn't doing good, I wasn't doing good. If his life was out, out of balance, mine was out of balance. It was like we were so intertwined and dependent on each other that I couldn't find my voice or my strength. And what on-site helped me learn is that I have to have serenity. I have to be at peace no matter what. If he relapses, I have to be at peace and I have to learn how to do that. And if he has a bad day and he's cranky and snaps at me, I, I can't carry that for the rest of the day. So I would say I first of all started my steps of forgiveness 
and really just releasing some of that anger that was inside of my body, which was hurting me, not him. Yeah. It wasn't doing anything to him. Yeah. But it was killing me. Yeah. Um, and realizing that that's not holding on to all that is not helping me at all. No, it doesn't mean that it's all okay. Did you find that the anger was secondary to something else, a different emotion that you were kind of masking with anger? I mean, I was pretty angry. I would say that was a real strong emotion, hurt, all of the above. But I was letting it poison me. Yeah. But when when you released it and you forgave, Uh did you find like a pain emotion or a sadness surfaced, like a grief that you needed to deal with? Or was it simply anger and you dealt with that and then you were okay? Gosh, so, so many things. When I think back to this year of recovery, it's like an onion. (laughs) Yeah, no, totally. And I'm sure, I mean, that's what I love. You guys are just in it still. (laughs) Yeah. This is not a pretty tied up with a bow. Right. You know, your 80 year olds, you know, you're in it. And so there's still layers, I'm sure, that are coming. Yeah, which I think I find refreshing when people are willing to share their story when they're not on the other side. Yes. Because usually that, usually that is when you read the book or you, Hear the memoir. It's like twenty years ago, <laughs> and it's not. And you know, it's you've forgotten all the harder parts. Yeah, yeah. You read it and you're like, oh, well, of course you can write all that. You're now happy because of this, this, and this. So, yeah, I think part of sharing the story that makes it feel a little bit more maybe relatable is like we are still one hundred percent in this, and I think so much of our ego has been killed off this year. And I can say like, I'm sure we have mountains to go in our recovery and our healing, but I can share for sure what's helped me this year since onsite and just walking through that trauma, trauma recovery and just living with, you know, in in Al-Anon, Al-Anon is the um, kind of the AA version of like when, when you're married or it's your the alcoholic in your life, it's the person supporting them. So I've been to a few Al-Anon meetings and, you know, they say your qualifier is the alcoholic in your life. And I think <laughs> what was hard for me is that we still had to live together. And a lot of people that I would talk to would say like, oh, my dad was an alcoholic or my grown child's an alcoholic. But I was thinking, but I'm still living with mine. Like I have to learn how to live with this person. Yeah. It was really hurt me. And we have to still raise our children together and walk through this healing together. And some days that was just really intense. Yeah. And a lot of days I wanted to run away, mm-hmm. to be perfectly honest. Yeah. Um, and he was really patient with that. One of the things we did at Onsite is write a letter to the person that we felt like had hurt us. So I wrote a long letter to him, which he, writ- he did read when I got home. And then he dealt with a lot of just my getting getting it all out, getting the anger out. And he would listen. And I, that was really helpful for me that he was willing to hear me out on just some of the pain of it all. But, you know, we, we still had so, such different perspectives in our healing. Um, and some days that was just really hard. It's like we could not see eye to eye. How were you guys different in how you saw the healing? I feel like we're, we still have so many differences in just our perspectives, but well, you know, it's just, it's two different roles. You know, a lot of the things that happened, he doesn't remember because Mm, of the alcohol. And that was hard for me 
we immediately started couples therapy when we got back and our therapist really encouraged me to start a journal and write down some of the flashbacks and memories that would come back and to share them with Daniel, which at first I thought that sounds crazy. I don't want to pile more guilt on him or more, you know, make him feel bad. And he was like, Taylor, stop. You are not in charge of Daniel's emotions. That Mm. is not your job. Mm. And if you have something that you need to share with him, he is a man and he can take it and then it's on him. So you stop protecting yeah, him. But I'm sure there's a fear that you will send him back yes. to the state. And so there's a That was a huge fear. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. But I really just had to let that go. Yeah. I mean, it's true. He is he is the only person in charge of his recovery and I'm the only person in charge of mine. Wow. And we cannot let each other affect that. You know, if I have a bad day and I, all this anger comes up, which sometimes it does, you know, he'll do one little thing and it'll bring up 25 other things. Yeah. And, you know, he's, he's got to be okay with me getting that out (laughs) and then be like, okay, you know, that, that I guess some stuff needs to come out, you know, but that can't ruin his day Hmm. and vice versa for me, which that's been like a huge for us to realize. I did it the other day actually so he just um hit his one year of sobriety um, congratulations two days ago I know I'm deal. so proud of him yeah and so I'm gonna throw him a dinner party with um a lot of the people that have helped us walk through this last year and so I was telling our therapist you know like oh, I just really want to make this feel special and you know like kind of stressing like I want to make sure he feels honored and he was like stop 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 you're doing it again like mm. the way he feels about this one year is on him is not on you yeah I was like oh you know we take on each other's Mm. stuff too Mm. much in our relationship and or sometimes we give we give it too much like you know I've put on him sometimes it's your job to make me happy it's your job to make me feel loved it's your job to make me feel comforted it's your job to make it right yeah yeah Yeah. although that is a part of marriage it's that can be my whole world yeah. Um, you know, and I still live with the thought of like, what if he relapses? I think that's one of the scariest parts of recovery, but I can't focus on that. And AA has a big, their big slogan is one day at a time. Yeah. And so we're taking it one day at a time. And, you know, people ask us all the time, do you think he'll drink again? And we don't even think about that. Mm. Just one day at a time. Yeah. Oh, man. Okay. So, so many things I heard that have helped you. I've heard you yeah. mention community over and over, family, yeah. you admitting that you weren't okay, you seeking professional counsel personally and as a couple, um, writing out, journaling the hard moments so you can get that out there so you're not holding it in, um, so everyone's yeah. on the same page, not taking ownership for other people's emotional state or yeah. recovery. Man, okay, how how have you seen... Like, have you relied on your faith in a, a unique way through this that up until this trial, you just hadn't experienced? Yeah. Um, you know, it's interesting. I think I was raised sort of in the charismatic world. And I think so much of, I want to be careful how I say this, because I want to be honoring to the church. And I think the church does their best. I think sometimes there can be a little bit of like a, just let, it's okay. Just, 
just forgive, let it go. It's all going to be okay. And sometimes that's not enough. A lot of times that's not enough. So what I was reaching for was like, okay, God, I know that you love me. I know that you're in charge. I know all that. But right now I am falling apart and I need something to hold on to. And I think that's where therapy really saved me. Our therapist was a Christian. And so he would give some great advice, but he would also give some really practical advice. So along with prayer, I think meditation can really help. Just being still, deep breathing really helped me. Journaling, asking for prayer, telling friends that you trust, and then just realizing that your trauma is your trauma and that that's okay. Because I think a lot of people will also say like, it could be worse. Right. The they love to tell it, yeah. you a story of like, well, you know, my uncle, blah, blah, blah. And not letting yourself feel guilt for how you how you took in that trauma. And, you know, I think I was really mad at God too. I mean, I'll be totally honest. I just yeah. thought this is not what I signed up for. Yeah. You know, here I have given you my entire life and what in the world. Yeah. <laughs> and um, that took a while to get over. I mean, there were a good few months that I was like not talking to God a whole lot because I was angry, but you know, he doesn't care. <laughs> he can handle and, it. Isn't it amazing? <laughs> he can handle and it. I was just, I was thinking today, um, I had a therapist recommend that I start doing yoga. And so I've started doing yoga, which goes against my personality completely, the slowness of it, but it's been really good for me. And I was just thinking of like the phrase I am. And I was just thinking, wow, you know, everything that I've gone through, every tool that I've used to recover through this is all part of like who he is. Mm. You know, I am in therapy. I am in journaling. I am in deep breathing. Like all of that is part of God and part of like what he's given us. So yeah, yeah, I would say yes to that question about my faith, but I think I also really had to grab on to some, like write down four things that are going to help me get through this. Don't just tell me, God's going to take care of me. Yeah, That's not going to work for me. (laughs) And I think that a lot of Christians feel guilty about that. Mm. Thinking like, why isn't that enough? Why can't I just, you know. If my faith was just stronger. Yeah. Or just why can't I just lean on God? And to me, I I just needed some some real things to grab onto. But that's that's God too. Well, and I think there's a difference when you've been raised in the church. I don't know if that's true for you, but... I think sometimes things that we take so for granted that are revolutionary to someone who's never heard them. I think in moments of crisis, it's like we need to be reminded about them in a new, unique way. And I think the struggle and the wrestling with God, like Jacob, you know, it's kind of, Mm -hmm. it's almost this deepening intimacy that needs to shake us and wake us up and lean on him in a different way and trust that it's not just this religion, but a person Mm -hmm. who cares Mm -hmm. about you and who's passionately pursuing you and desires the intimacy over perfection and like this life that's comfortable and convenient and controlled. And so it's, I'm, I'm thrilled that you shared with us today because I know women are going to email me and they're going to be at some point in your story, um, maybe even beyond where you are. And 
that we as the church could be talking about these things more. Yeah. I think we're doing better than yeah. our, the generation before us. I do too. I will say I did deal with a lot of shame about why I let it go on so long mm. and why I didn't, like what took me so long to draw that line in the sand to say something has to change or you have to leave. I mean, like it took me a long time to deal with that. Like what was that? Where was my strength to do that? And I can see a lot of women thinking the same thing that have lived with it for a while, especially the cycle of like, is this a problem? I think it's fine. Is this a problem? I mean, that can just go on and on and on and on. And I love this phrase. It's an onsite phrase. You repeat what you don't repair. Mm. And Daniel and I say it all the time. And I think I would just say, you just got to do it. You got to find that strength because it's just not going to change unless you do something, unless you start therapy, unless you do, you know, something has to happen. Um, And then like do the work, which we have really, really worked hard this year in therapy on our own reading, studying podcasts. Like we've opened up our souls (laughs) and just looked at everything. Like, and me, I had to look at that. Why? did I wait so long to say anything like, you know, and dig deep into that and see some lies that I believed about myself and just some fear of speaking out fear of what people would thought, especially because my husband's in the Christian music industry. There was a lot of fear of like, what's going to happen if I say something. Um, but I had to get over that. And once I did, honestly, that's when things started changing. There is definitely a feeling of, uh, we have to reckon with our identities and where they're coming from. And all of this brings that to the surface. I totally get all of that. And y'all, I'm going to put some extra resources in the show notes. Um, an audiobook that I've been listening to, maybe you've read it, Taylor, is Codependent No More. Have you read that? Yes, I have it. I have not finished it yet, though. Is it yeah. great? I mean, I'm still reading it too, but I've. It's, I think as a mom, I mean, any, if you're in any relationship, that thing that Taylor was describing where you're, oh, I don't want them to feel X, Y, and Z. We do that with our kids. We do that with our spouses, no matter if there's addiction present or not, we enmesh ourselves with others and friends and we take on more than is actually ours to take on. So it's a great book. Um, if you're curious, if that rang something in you, you were like, oh, and then uh, my pastor's wife has been on the show to talk about her hula hoopology, which is basically that, like creating that boundary that I'm only responsible for what's in my hula hoop and just that visual. And a lot of counselors use that language. Um, we've had Townsend on with boundaries and a lot of that, just that work that you're talking about. But really, I'm just thankful for you both. And I know Thank that you. you're just getting started on. Yeah. I think that this pain is not wasted and Daniel and his writing is just going to flourish. Um, yeah. So talented so and his, we need his art and his creativity. And so, yeah. And we need the realness. Yeah. yeah. We need the reality of like from a hard place and, and actually God's transformation. Um, your kids, I know people are going to ask me, Yeah, how have they dealt this last year with? Oh, yeah. Great question. I asked our therapist a lot, like, what, what do I need to be doing for the kids? And the main thing they told me is the more secure that they feel, that just the better it's going to be. And I, 
I've seen, I've seen that completely. Um, the more that they see us communicating and feel safe again, that a lot of those things that I've noticed are much, much better. Hmm. Have they verbalized like a concern or are they aware at all what has been going on or is it just? We were pretty open with our oldest, our nine and our eight-year-old. Our three and our five-year-old, I think, felt it, didn't get it. Our our nine and eight-year-old definitely got it. And so we were pretty open with them. Like, daddy's not drinking anymore. And we realized that alcohol is not good for him, you know, on their level. But they knew, you know, like, oh, okay. And um yeah, so they've asked questions and I always want to make sure that they know they can ask me questions. And we just started therapy with our oldest. He's still just dealing with some fear, which, um, you know, I think is related to several things. But I'm excited for him. Just sitting in his first little therapy session, I thought, man, I kind of wish I had had this when I was little. <laughs> I mean, we can all benefit from a good therapy session. Yeah. So, yeah, I think they're doing much better. And I just also want to just leave hope. You know, I, I really, if someone had told me a year and a half ago that Daniel would be sober and his life completely different, I just wouldn't have believed you. I would have thought there's no way. Mm-hmm. So I, I do want to leave that hope. Just if you think your situation could never change, it can. And I, if I could pass anything along, I would pass just a little ounce of strength to do what you have to do to draw those boundaries, whether that's leave, stay with different boundaries speak up, tell someone, whatever it is to really make that change. Um, Because we can let a whole lot go on and on and on for years. So I would like to leave that little challenge that there's something that you think you need to do, do it. And I also just want to say how how proud I am of my husband. Yes, we are so so proud of him. We are so proud of him. And and me too. Yeah. Yeah. We've we've done some work and we're still working and we're going to keep working. Because it's worth it, you know? Yeah. I'd much rather have gone through what we went through, which I never thought I would say that, to realize some of the unhealthy habits we had started mm. probably from day one, 12 years in, you know, those are pretty deep habits. I, I think I would do it again to flush out some of that. And we're still flushing it out. So I think as we get healthier, we're going to have even a better marriage than we ever thought we could. But we're still working. <laughs> It's good. We're still working. <laughs> oh, we're we're thrilled for you and thankful and um, just praying for more. Yes, Lord, more, please. Yes. That's right. Have a fantastic day, Taylor, and enjoy that celebration. Thank you. In this episode, Taylor said that you repeat what you don't repair. And if it's brought up something for you, recognizing, wow, we have been in this negative cycle as a couple, or I'm noticing something in my spouse or in myself, I want you to know that we have some resources in the show notes. I know not everyone can go to on-site, but there are lots of other options. We have a Recovery for Life program at our church. I know there are other Celebrate Recoveries around the world. Of course, seeing a counselor, just get started. Tell someone. Um, I'm going to pray for us right now for whatever... God has for you next to do. Also in the show notes, we put a link to Daniel's music and you may recognize one of the songs he wrote. It's called God's Not Dead. And that is so true. He is alive. He is working. He is moving. You are not too far gone. And so I'm going to pray over us right now. Lord, oh man, we want to be holy in love with you, but so often 
the brokenness from our past, wounds from others, whatever it is, whatever lies we're believing, get in the way of believing that we are fully loved. And so we choose other things. We choose other things and we forget. And I pray, Lord, that you would direct whoever is listening to get the help that they need, to tell one person if they haven't yet, to say, you know, I don't, I don't feel like I'm doing this well. And what help can you direct me to? I pray, Lord, for anyone who's walking through a similar situation to Taylor's, that they would find the community they need, the support that they need, that they would hear that they're not the only ones that are walking through addiction and dependency, that there is no shame in that. I pray that we can be the people who love others well, who come alongside, who are not shocked by any situation, but can honestly point them back to God's love, his overwhelming love, no matter what is going on in our lives, that we are never too far gone, never too messy, that he is always ready and willing to embrace us and point us to further healing. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks y'all for listening. Thanks for leaving reviews on iTunes and subscribing. Um, I hope you heard that bonus episode with Dr. Taransky that we released last Friday. And thanks for sticking around. Thanks for sharing with friends. Y'all are the best. Adios. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Don't Mom Alone podcast. If you're wanting to connect with more people and more resources to help remind you that you're not alone, head over to don'tmomalone.com. That's where you'll also find show notes with any links mentioned by our guests. Most importantly, I want you to know the good news, the great news that you're not alone because God has promised to always be with you. With faith in Jesus Christ, the one who died for you and rose again, Jesus said when he left, he was going to leave a helper, a comforter to be with us. God in us, moms, that's superpower. So while you're washing dishes at your kitchen sink, while you're driving to and from work, while you're feeding that baby late into the night, while you're cleaning sticky floors, God promises to be just as present with you as when you're worshiping in a church pew. As it says in Zephaniah 317, the Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He takes great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love and he will rejoice over you with singing. Now that's good news. Have a great day.